Welcome to the 16th episode of the Street Roots Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Devon Pouncey. On this episode, we have Oregon State Representative Janelle Bynum joining us to discuss a plethora of proposed House bills being discussed during the current legislative session regarding policing in the state of Oregon. This interview will also be a featured Q&A in this week's newspaper, so be sure to find your local vendor and purchase a copy. Sit back and enjoy, everybody, as Representative Bynum joins us here on the Street Roots Podcast. On the line right now, we have Oregon State Representative from House District 51, Representative Janelle Bynum. Representative Bynum, appreciate you so much for the opportunity to chat with us here at Street Roots. My pleasure. It's wonderful to be here. Absolutely. Now, I know you're in what is a very busy time as the as the session has begun, the legislative session has begun here in the state of Oregon. And I want to just jump straight into it and sort of talk about police accountability, because I know right. that's a, a top priority of the BIPOC caucus. And you've championed a slate of bills on accountability around, you know, several um, of characters of police officers themselves, as well as some of these bills in their regard. Um, just for starters, which one or ones would you say are some of the most crucial to enact real change? And we should hopefully be able to see that sort of instantly this year. Well, the ones uh, that really kind of get my heart um, as as if, you know, I, I think I'm kind of a, a bill nerd. So I'll, I'll put that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a police misconduct database, which basically um, makes sure that the public can see which police officers have had misconduct attributed to their service. And this helps in the criminal defense arena so that we know, you know, who's making People are going to make mistakes and that's normal, but who's making a lot of mistakes and who's making really bad mistakes and who needs to be put into an early warning system. So that's one of them. Another one that we're going to hear soon is about just um, police departments being able to screen for, detect and address white supremacy in their departments. So that's one of them that's um, coming along. We also um, are ha- we had one hearing today on um, reporting. We call it the duty to intervene or the duty to report when other officers see something happening or understand that something is happening, and providing some level of whistleblower protection there. So those are three really good examples of things that people can understand. Um, they they know that what we're trying to do is elevate the profession of policing. Because a lot of people, especially officers of color, decided to get into the profession so that they would be able to pass on better experiences than what they had. Right. Right. And so um, so that's that's the approach that we're taking with all of the bills. Absolutely. And I want to kind of start off before asking about some of the bills in particular. Um, I want to kind of keep a, a victim first mentality here. Mm-hmm. Um, have there been any cases that have influenced, and I'm speaking more so to the state of Oregon, obviously, but that have influenced uh, some of the slated bills uh, that have been proposed, or has it just kind of been an ongoing conversation that led us to the point where these are some of the bills that have come to be presented by way of just different conversations and things that have happened across the country? Right. So one bill we have about munitions and tear gas, uh, rubber bullets, 
all of those sorts of non-lethal weapons used, uh, especially in crowd control. The conversation that we were trying to work through there is, you know, we had people who were injured in um, crowd response situations this summer. And when I started to ask the question was, of, do we know if police even knew what they were using? Do we know if they were using the right um, follow-up policies? So for instance, when you deploy tear gas, uh, when I looked at the sheets that contained all the information about what chemicals were in there, there were also medical instructions for what should be done after a person was exposed to tear gas. And my question was, are we doing that? Do people have that information? Do emergency rooms have that information? So that's where the bill on making sure that people who were arrested in those crowd control situations um, had access to medical treatment. I think um, another bill that we had um, was about the use of force reports. So there, there's so many bills. Um, but that one comes to mind because we were trying to figure out how much force were people using? How often was it being used? Was it being recorded as it should be in Portland? Were captains uh, or people in the line of command following up on that use of force? How much was being used? How often was it the right thing? So absolutely, people in the public were weighing in. We were watching it live on TV yeah, and responding uh, as quickly as we could. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk about House Bill 2929 that you sponsored and you kind of referred to a little bit. Um, and this bill would make it an officer's duty to report misconduct and mm-hmm. requires the law enforcement unit to investigate reports of conduct. Um, is this not required now? And also, would this apply to all law enforcement, state, city, and county? So we do have the duty to intervene right now. What I asked about was, did we get the bill right? So sometimes when you're in the middle, and that bill was passed late summer, early fall, if I remember right. Um, My question was, did we get it right? And so we have the case of Mr. Elijah Warren, who was just a citizen standing out on the street who was clocked upside the head by an officer. And I asked the city of Portland, and I still have not gotten a robust response about whether the officers who were standing there and saw that, who responded in the moment like, he's not a protester, um, if anybody reported it. Yeah. And is the law working? And so this bill um, follows up with that and and says, did we get it right? Did we um, make the penalties uh, for not reporting stiff enough? And did we cast the net far and wide enough? So a lot of the bills are meant more to stimulate the conversation so that we can refine the language. And what I think is really important is that the public should absolutely weigh in. They can weigh in by writing or they can call. They, they should absolutely explain their experiences. For sure. Um, this bill also directs the Bureau of Labor, Labor and Industry to establish and maintain form and database reports of misconduct and to investigate certain reports of misconduct. Would this be public record that anyone could look at or would there be guidelines on discipline with this? So that's where the misconduct database came in. Um, 
and there's there's kind of a balance that we're um, that we're working through. So while something is being investigated, you know, is it helpful to have public eyes on it? Maybe, maybe not. Um, with Boley, what we were trying to uh, look at was certain types of civil rights types of um, violations. So the jury really is still out because um, we had the hearing today. The jury really is still out on whether Boley is the right place to have these investigations when someone has reported something or whether the Department of Public Safety Standards and Training is the right place or whether the Department of Justice is the right place. So that's what came out in the hearing today. Got you. Um, on to the next bill, uh, House Bill 2936 would create a task force to develop a plan for removing peace officers who have discriminatory sentiments that will violate the mm-hmm. rights of protected classes. Um, can you tell me more about how this was work? How about how this would work? Excuse me. You know, I'm not as familiar in terms of how departments are rooting out white supremacy in their own ranks. Now, they will tell you um, that they have done a good job, but I think there hasn't been a lot of attention to how to, um, to how to really ask those questions and how to create an environment where that's not okay. And that's the purpose of this bill. So where you have homophobia, Islamophobia, Um, racially biased people, white supremacy, all of those things, in my opinion, in many departments have not been able to be adequately addressed. Right. So that's what this bill is working towards. And again, it will take community conversation for us to figure out how to write the words very narrowly so that we send a, a message as the state that if you're interested in discriminating against people and you work in a police department, a law enforcement agency, you are not fit to wear the badge. Absolutely. Just because I think the general concern is that, you know, if the misconduct is a part of the culture, how effective would the reporting requirement be <laughs> based on sort right. of the history of, of these industries? So do you ultimately think that, you know, with these bills that have been proposed, um, that a culture change will happen in these police bureaus? It's already happening. Okay. You you can feel it from where we started back in the early summer to now and how I've guided the conversations. You can see where there was once a lot of fear from law enforcement that things were going to be done to them. Now you start to see the people who were very concerned about the trajectory of the profession really starting to step up and to say, well, here's a problem because I'm not, I'm not a law enforcement person. I don't know the, the intricate details of the profession, but those inside, I think in a lot of ways they were silenced and they didn't have an outlet. And so now they're coming forward and saying, Representative Bynum, you should do it this way. You should do it this way. This you don't need to worry about. This part, this is an issue. Got it. Got it. Um, let's let's move on to House Bill 2930, which would establish a commission on statewide law enforcement standards of conduct and discipline to adopt uniform standards of conduct for law enforcement officers 
and disciplinary standards. Um, I think some people would be a bit surprised that this doesn't already exist. It would also remove the discipline guide uh, or matrix from mandatory subject of bargaining. Um, could you just speak to more as to why HB 2930 would uh, be significant? Well, it would be a bold change. Um, right now, individual contracts are negotiated by department. And so there's much more local control, which is in some respects an, an Oregon value. But when we look at law enforcement and we think about what are the state's values, that's where this proposal is going. So what do we see as a state is the minimum standard for someone who is allowed to wear the badge and carry a service weapon? Um, the other part of it is having a patchwork of disciplinary actions around the state means that you know, in one um, jurisdiction, you could sock somebody in the nose and that's a minor violation of that, that department's policies versus that's a terminable offense in um, Multnomah County, for instance. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty bold. Um, we'll see how it's received. And it actually is a, is a much longer term type of proposal. Absolutely. Um, House Bill 2930, amongst other things, would let civilians bring civil action for damages incurred as a result of police officers' failure to report or intervene in misconduct, and it will provide for the award of attorney fees. Um, how is this new, and what sort of the impact you expect from this liability on police officers and departments? As I understand it, some cities believe that officers are immune. I don't know if believe is the right words. In some cases, you, you can't sue. You can't get any remedy. Right. And so we're putting on the table that people who have been injured, who have a claim, should be able to seek some sort of remedy. The, the issue here, which is really interesting, it's, it's, it's a subtle issue, but Right now, cities around the country or municipalities around the country are paying, they're paying out for police violence against their own citizens. And what they will do is they will issue debt to Wall Street. They'll say, Wall Street, can I borrow some money? Wall Street says, yes, I'll tack 3% on that. So the city, the city's residents are paying three, four, 5% to fund settlements for police brutality. And the more we can get a handle on how much we're paying, the more we can make sure that people who have not in the past been able um, to sue for remedy, the more they can get access to it, the more we'll have a better idea of how much this is literally costing us. So it's not only costing us mentally, but it's costing us financially in our cities. How much does the role of police unions influence the development of some of the aforementioned bills? In the past, it has uh, influenced a lot. Uh, I don't know that people were brave enough to have honest conversations. I think people were afraid of sick outs, walkouts. One, one thing to note is that uh, police in Oregon, I believe, don't have the right to strike. And hmm. so that has made um, that has made a big difference. 
in the type of conversations that we've been able to have. And I think, you know, there's just a legacy in this country of well-intentioned labor laws being um, utilized in ways that haven't produced the best for the public. Absolutely. Um, You already alluded to uh, some of the social justice demonstrations that took place over the summer, um, especially in reference to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, There was obviously a lot of community involvement there. Um, How significant can community involvement be uh, during this particular session that we're in right now? So it was pleasing to see the protests. And I think people who went out and participated, you know, they can now say that they were there. But what's particularly important for me as as a legislator is that when we are hearing these bills, one benefit of COVID is that it has allowed us to open up our hearings remotely in a way that we haven't ever before. So great that you protest, but I can't take a protest and turn that into a bill without enough public support and without enough public interest, right? So um, the way we build the legislative record is by taking testimony. And that's when people write in and that's when people come in and tell their stories. That's when people call their individual legislator. And you have a right to talk to your legislator. They should absolutely give you 15 minutes of their time. Absolutely no questions asked. So is it is more important that we pass legislation in concert with protests. Absolutely. Well, Rep. Janelle Bynum, I appreciate you so much for giving me your 15 minutes <laughs> to, to <laughs> chat here with us at Street Roots for the podcast. And this also being our print edition and, and Q&A format as well. So thank you so much for, for ask, answering those questions and definitely looking forward to speaking with you soon as things progress. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. As the Vendor Program Director here at Street Roots, I'd like to send out a huge thank you to our supporters on behalf of our vendor program. Many of our vendors lost out on sales due to the extreme weather conditions, and you all stepped right in to be able to assist them and make up some of the funding that they missed out on. Thank you all for tuning in to the Street Roots Podcast. We'll chat with you on the next one.